Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. Over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed. The History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Well, today we are very pleased to welcome to the show Dr. Reem Amatwali. She is the founder of the Zay Initiative, which is an organization that is dedicated to documenting, preserving, and exhibiting the dress, jewelry, and bodily adornment from across the Arab world. And the Zay Initiative is built around Dr. Reem's incredible fashion collection and represents the first fashion history archive dedicated exclusively to Arab dress. And she has been collecting for decades. And while the core of the collection is dress from the UAE or the United Arab Emirates, where she grew up, it also has fashions from Yemen, Morocco, Kuwait, Iraq, Syria, Tunisia, Egypt, and many others. So we are so pleased to have Dr. Reem join us on the show today to hear more about her wonderful organization and collection. Dr. Reem, welcome to Dressed. Dr. Reem, thank you so much for joining us on Dressed today. This is such a pleasure to talk to you today. Likewise, my dear, I'm very excited and thank you very much for reaching out to us and uh, for inviting me uh, to your podcast. And of course, we are here to discuss your organization, the Zay Initiative, um, the mission of which is collecting, documenting, and digitizing Arab historical attire and its cultural and historical significance. Can you please give us a brief introduction to yourself and to your wonderful organization? Sure. Let me see where to start. I'm Canadian, but Iraqi by birth. I grew up in the United Arab Emirates, and I went to boarding school in England at the age of 10. I obtained my first university degree from Midwest America, which many people find very odd. And I finished my higher education back in the United Kingdom. So pre-COVID, my year was divided seasonally between Montreal, Boston, London, and Dubai. And I feel like I belong to the whole world and I feel myself as a global citizen. Uh, as for the Zay Initiative, as you mentioned, we are a nonprofit UK registered initiative advancing the preservation of cultural heritage through the collection, documentation, and digital archiving of Arab historical attire and their stories. Our goal is to empower and sustain global cross cultural dialogue to inspire creative minds. This is in a nutshell. Yeah, and we're going to learn a lot more about your organization and this incredible collection, which consists of over 1,300 pieces from throughout history and across the Arab world. But before we learn more, I would love to hear a little bit more about your origin story. You talked a little bit about it there. What significance did the art and history of Arab dress play in your upbringing? You know, uh, I've been very, very, very lucky. From uh, early childhood, I was raised on uh, the appreciation of beauty. Uh, and I, I feel it continues to feed my soul as I grow and mature, if you want to say. I remember my mother helping me find my passion for art and design as I watched her captivately uh, collecting and acquiring uh, ornaments and rare pieces of art 
jewelry, handmade carpets, antiques, and so on. And most importantly and significantly to the context of what we're talking about, unique dresses. I continued this passion through my education. So when uh, I did my undergraduate degree, I majored in interior design, and I continued to practice to date through my firm, uh, creating uh, sanctuaries and establishing individual art collections for certain clientele. I further went on and did a degree in Islamic architecture and uh, with that I did a lot of work in uh, archaeology, uh, surveying art, uh, fortifications and studying them in the area where I lived which is, which is Abu Dhabi and it culminated with a book in the name of Qasr al-Husn, which is an architectural survey of the oldest building uh, in the Emirate of Abu Dhabi. And eventually I came back and started working on my most uh, deep, let's say, passion, which is uh, dress and issues related to women. And I did a PhD at SOAS in surveying and uh, recording dress in the United Arab Emirates. I guess the subject I chose to pursue consciously or unconsciously drew from my life experiences and related to them somehow. And you mentioned, of course, the United Arab Emirates. And that, I think, believe your, your passion for the clothing from that region really formed the basis for the Zay Initiative Digital Museum Collection, which is the first fashion history archive of Arab dress. This is very exciting. Can you please tell us about your collection, how you went about starting it and what it has become now? Yes, first of all, it is by no means a complete or a massive collection. It's, uh, I consider it a rather growing and very organic collection. And secondly, I cannot take full credit for it. For As I mentioned to you earlier, it was my mother who ignited this passion in me and she collected much of it and it eventually came to me and I built on that one. And thirdly, I think in life we all come across opportunities and only by seizing such opportunities might one play a small role in recording human culture. The circumstances of my upbringing and eventually the posts I was appointed to crossed my path and allowed me to experience wearing and collecting such gems. And most importantly, as I said, it's a growing collection, so it is daily enriched with the donations and contributions of individuals such as your listeners or our followers through social media and other platforms. So it's an organic format and I'm very happy that it's taking its own path uh, and snowballing as we move from one week to the other. And I know that you have a lot of pieces from the United Arab Emirates. I think there's 500 pieces, but what other regions and countries do you have in the collection? Let me start with the United Arab Emirates. As you mentioned, I have lived in the United Arab Emirates from the age of five. And my father was appointed by the founding father of the UAE as the economic consultant to the then Crown Prince, uh, Sheikh Khalifa bin Zayed al-Nahyan, who is presently the president of the United Arab Emirates. Because of this, I have been fortunate to have an almost exclusive and personal access to the ruling family and the elite members of UAE society. And I went through the experience of wearing these dresses from childhood. I accumulated a number of such garments, either as gifts or by commissioning them from known dressmakers. 
And with the onset of my study of the subject, I went back and revised the collection. I began an educated choreography that filled in the blanks to create a historical, well-grounded collection of 170 articles of dress, some dating back to the 1950s. And to the UAE, the 1950s is an important landmark because you might know that the United Arab Emirates is a very young country, and it's a country that has flourished due to the oil riches. And pre-1960s, the country has not yet made the jump into urbanization and uh, modernization. And to have pieces that date back to the earlier than the oil period is quite an accomplishment for that particular area of the world. This resulted in uh, 2011 with the publication of a very heavy, large coffee table format, three-volume reference book, which is called Sultani Traditions Renewed. I I think you are familiar with this one. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, in 2015, we published the second edition of the same book, but this time in a condensed format, marking the opening of an area called D3, which is Design District in Dubai, which is now the hub for creativity and develop trade in relation to the uh, fashion industry. Both books are sold out, but we have a few copies that are saved for those who are very eager. And now as we fast forward to 2020, the UAE collection numbers 550, as you said, objects, and it's growing. And we now have another 1,000 articles from many Arab countries, other Arab countries. And happily, I'd say that um, as people hear about us and as people get to know us, they entrust us and they start sending us and donating to us their pieces. Oh, that's wonderful. And every garment in the Zay Initiative collection has its own story to tell. And so many of these pieces, this is one of the things I really love about your website, is they're accompanied by text that explains both the cultural and historical context and importance of these different types of garments. For instance, one of the oldest pieces in your collection is this incredibly beautiful Syrian handwoven golden embroidered silk cloak or abaya from the year 1900. Can you tell us about the cultural significance of the abaya, but also the historical significance of this cloak in particular, because it actually comes with an incredible provenance? Yes, you chose a wonderful article. The, as far as the abaya is concerned, Simply put, it's an overgarment worn in public by both women and men and called bisht uh, when it is worn by a man. Uh, It's an article of dress that comes with a very long and complex story and history. Perhaps we can do a whole postcard just on that in the future. In the meantime, uh, I invite you all to explore our digital archive and blog to get acquainted with the complexities as well as the evolution of this garment that came to symbolize Muslim culture one way or the other. Now to address the Syrian abaya you just mentioned, allow me to briefly tell you its story. And the story goes, a doctor was crossing a bridge in Paris when he saw a young man about to jump and he did good by dissuading him. And the young man turned out to be an emir's son. This is a story as it came to us For after the rescuer's death, his son sold the two pieces and they became purchased by the Zay Initiative at auction. We began to research and uh, the abaya as it is known and and also it had an associated headband to go with it, 
were probably the property of the emir of uh, Barsa in Libya. Most likely, it is uh, Idris al-Sanusi, but we are yet to confirm that. And most probably, it dates back to the 1920s or 30s. And they were gifted to an anonymous French doctor in gratitude for preventing their son, the emir, from committing suicide. Emir meaning prince in Arabic. So this one, as is the case with many of the garments that we have, uh, we try to find their stories and we try to document the stories and try to write about the people and the events that surround each article, preserving part of the culture as well as the article itself. And what the Abaya demonstrates, but also so many pieces in your collection um, really reveal, is that there's so many clothing pieces that are shared across cultures and across regions. And for instance, you have this incredible 1920s Moroccan wedding kaftan in the collection, but actually pinpointing the origin of the kaftan as a garment is up to a lot of debate among historians. There's a lot of different theories about where it comes from and where it originated Can you speak a little bit to the multicultural significance of the kaftan? This also could probably be its own podcast, but um, I'd love to hear a little bit more uh, about that. Well, actually, you are so right. And to me, fashion is more than art or creativity or passion. Fashion is an expression of a society's character and its history. It uh, indicates aspects of its culture and its heritage and many prevailing attitudes. Details of embroidery, color, and line can reflect identity and the narratives of different people. When looking at a traditional costume, one does not only see its beauty, but one can read the area it once belonged to, surmising geographic, economic, historic, cultural, religious, as well as individual influences. And when it comes to the kaftan, which you have chosen, I I, I thank you so much for choosing it, as it's an excellent example to help me illustrate the work being done at the Zay Initiative. To begin with, the kaftan is a variant of the robe or a tunic, and it has been worn in a number of cultures around the world, as you said, for thousands of years. It's mostly associated with Moroccan and North African dress culture, but its roots span across many lands that include Persia, Russia, and the Indian subcontinent. Illustrating this cross-cultural interchange that covers space and time. By documenting the articles in our growing collection, we touch upon all of this through the description and history of the article itself, first and foremost, then through a short glossary that pops up as one reads certain terms and terminologies, reached simply by hovering over the words, be it in English or in Arabic. If you look back at the first glossary, such as the one composed by Reinhard Dorsey. I don't know if you are familiar with him from the Netherlands. It was done in 1845, uh, the Glossary of Vestments of the Arab World. Oh, wow. Yes, and what we have done through our glossary, which is very technically apt, what we aim to do through the Zay Connection is to continue this work by taking it a step further. Uh, And as we take advantage of the present online tools, what happens is now when, you, when you're looking at the article on the, in our digital archive, you can be, whether you are reading it in Arabic or you're reading in English, this in itself is quite a feat uh, because writing in both languages is not an easy endeavor. 
and when you hover around you, with your mouse around the, uh, on the words that you might not understand or not know, you would have a window popping up and you could read a small brief uh, a definition of that word and what it is. And then you can dive deep down into by pressing another button in there and it takes you to a longer full page that uh, dives into our blog entries and link this to other related sites. So it's very complex what we are doing. We're hoping to provide the reader with as much information as possible. Uh, and, and dare I say, the work that we are attempting is so many layered that I really did not know what I was signing up on to. <laughs> but uh, the more we develop the work and the more we uh, get involved, the more we find that there's so much missing and so much needs to be recorded. Uh, it requires a team effort and dedication, and we constantly are looking for experts as well as interns to contribute and to join our efforts, which in turn calls for funding and asking for more help and more involvement. So it's, it's just one thing takes you the, to the other, and you're constantly having to juggle between the administrative part of what we're doing as well as the academic part of it which is quite really, really uh, time-consuming and complex. Well, I have to say, you've done incredibly well. I mean, as you said, this is no easy endeavor. And as far as, I mean, you're the first fashion archive of Arab dress. So, I mean, you have, you know, basically the world's your oyster in terms of, of building this collection. <laughs> and yes, I'm it's sure a- it's going to be this lifelong pursuit. And I mean, we're all here for it. We're all very excited to see what you do. And I think you've done an incredible job uh, so far. Such an incredible collection. Again, it's really a team effort. I can't take credit for all of it. We've got so many passionate people who are, you know, joining and coming on board and, and helping us. Again, I repeat, we are a nonprofit, so we don't have any funds. We, we, we depend on people helping us and, and donating to us and getting involved be it in their time, in their articles of clothing, in their experience or expertise, and so on and so forth. So it is a culminative team effort that cannot continue without everyone doing their, their, their share of it. And, and I don't want to take credit for that. Uh, I, I invite everyone to explore the uh, website and, and learn about our team and what we are doing and so on and so forth. Oh, absolutely. And um, of course, that website is the zay.org. And of course, we'll be directing our listeners to that um, time and again, and it'll be in our show notes and in our Instagram posts over the next week. I can't thank you enough for that, really. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I know that our listeners are going to be just as excited as April and I are about, about this collection. And I mean, you have so many garments from across the vast Ottoman Empire as well. You have this incredible, for instance, I've spent a little time in the archive. <laughs> you have this fantastic Turkish woman's embroidered wool jacket and matching trousers that date from 1910. Can you talk about the cultural traditions of women in trousers across the Arab world? Because there's actually quite a long history there. Yes. Uh, again, another uh, subject and another podcast. <laughs> <Right>. And first <laughs> of all, I want to really, I, I really am impressed by the fact that you took the time to go through all of this and, and to really study the website. It really makes me feel very happy because it gives credit to what we have done. And it shows that pe- people are becoming aware of what we are doing. Uh, and I would love for more people to be 
uh, involved in the fact that they give us feedback and write on our uh, no, uh, you know notes section and and interact with us more in order for us to see that we are uh, fulfilling uh, one thing or the other for those who are interested in this field and now if we come to the pants uh, it's such a fascinating part of dress they've come to symbolize so much at different times and places I would love to take you through this journey, perhaps on a yet another postcard that I said in the future, but just a week ago, we mentioned them on one of our webinar series. We do a webinar series called Dialogues on the Art of Arab Fashion. And I don't know whether you listened in a week or two ago. Uh, we hold one every other week and we try to shed some light on various aspects of the Arab and Islamic culture through the medium of dress and adornment. And uh, again, I invite you all to join us and register through our website. But briefly to answer your question in relation to the, to the pants, in our last webinar, we mentioned how Betty Ford at the White House in 1977, a strong supporter of the Equal Rights Amendment, posed on a table in the White House on her last day as First Lady while wearing a pantsuit at a time when the idea of women wearing pants in the workplace was frowned upon at best. Now in the Arab world and on a larger extent in the Muslim world, pants are part and parcel of daily wear as they are viewed through the lenses of modesty and functionality. And at some times as carriers of wealth. And let me explain how, because many of these pants are decorated with silver anklets and the silver is used as a form of adornment, but at the same time as a form of wealth carrying. Because when a woman is in need, she can burn the garment. And when she burns the garment, the silver will come up or down or will be melted out. And, and uh, she can sell this and help a husband or a brother or a son. So here you have so many different layers to one garment and many different connotations and symbolism that's carried out from one area and the other in the world, as well as from one time to the other. There's so much more to say about it. And um, I have another question coming up um, in a minute here, but um, I'm glad you mentioned the silver adorned garments because there's also another ensemble in your collection that I wanted to ask you about, which was, I think you probably have multiple examples, but there's this Emirati silver adorned overgarment that's part of this incredible ensemble from 1968. And again, it's, it's you know, adorned in silver for that very reason. So, you know, it's exhibiting your wealth and also literally carrying your wealth. I mean, I just think that's such a beautiful testament to the significance of, of dress. Correct. Exactly. I totally agree with you. And there are many other garments that are adorned with gold in the Arab and mainly in the Bedouin lifestyle because they are non-sedentary. They are moving people. They go from one place to the other. So they have to make sure that they carry their, their belongings with them. And many of these women were very clever, in my opinion, and very astute and, and, and vain, just as we are now, you know. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and they wanted to, to dress up and they wanted to show their beauty and they wanted to be admired, but they, they utilized coins and, and gold and silver and they embroidered it on their clothing to make it look beautiful, to make themselves look beautiful, but at the same time to make sure they keep their wealth on themselves and secured and, <laughs> and close to hand if they needed to move around. So it, it speaks to so many different aspects of 
these people's lives. And uh, it's very important that it is recorded and for prosperity and for generations to come uh, so that they would be inspired by them and understand them better. Yeah, and those are the stories we actually talk about a lot on dress, just about how clothing has so, you know, it has, it moves beyond this utilitarian function to act in all of these different ways across cultures. And that really speaks to, you know, the shared humanity that we all have. Do you have any other pieces in the collection that you would like to highlight? Um, we love sharing the stories that clothes can tell on dress. So any other stories that you'd like to share any more details you'd like to, we, you know, we'll, we're here for all of it. <laughs> well, 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 I wish we had, uh, I mean, give me time and I'll tell you stories. I won't <laughs> stop. I love talking about these things, but uh, <laughs> I can speak for hours. These articles have introduced me to individuals and helped me gain many friendships, really. Uh, I, we have one particular one, which I thought I would mention here is, um, it is called a Hashmi. Uh, and it comes from Iraq, and uh, it was owned by a, a lady called Atiyah. She is the, the daughter of Abdul Qadir Pasha Al Khwari. And uh, this is a very well known and affluent family in Iraq who, at uh, his home in Bab Sharji district in Baghdad, the decision to establish the Iraqi army in 1921 was first announced. And he was decorated with the highest honors by no other than Gertrude Bell. Uh, for his services. Um, this piece came from her to her daughter, who is called Maida, Sahib al-Khwari, and from her daughter to her other daughter, granddaughter, uh, which is uh, who is known as Alia Anwar al-Qaymaqchi, and to the fifth person, Maryam Stabraq al-Imam. So we've got five generations of women handing down this piece of article of clothing, each one of them married to a very important dignitary that has helped in shaping uh, the history of Iraq, be it through creating the Iraqi army or be it through the other grandfather who was a member of the Senate and an advisor to King Faisal of Iraq, Faisal I of Iraq, and then to a prominent doctor that lives in in, the UK and has practiced for a long time here uh, as a surgeon. And from them to a young girl who has just had her own baby daughter. So we've got five generations and we've got such an interesting body of, info, uh, of knowledge about the political and economic history of Iraq that we can tie this all together in one area. Uh, it, I was very touched when they decided to donate this piece of clothing to us because it is such a dear item and they, they, it has such a history, but they thought it was more important that it is presented in a, in, 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 in a platform where more people can see it, experience it, uh, learn from it, understand it, and preserve it. So I really am uh, honored that we are custodian of it now and that it will be carried through other generations uh, to come through our portal. So our digital archives, in a way, is a living work in process as we keep adding one fact at a time and linking it to other references as they come along. So we are continuously adding information and adding uh, anecdotes and stories to articles of clothing. And and it just 
it fills my heart when I talk about it. So you need to stop me. Otherwise, I will get run out of time. <laughs> no, please. I mean, any other stories you'd like to share? I mean, that's really what we're here for Undressed is the storytelling aspect of clothing. So anything else you'd like to share? I mean, you it's just such a wonderful collection. I think the oldest piece, or at least one of the oldest pieces I, that I located on the website was this incredibly beautiful um, I think it's a two or three piece ensemble from Iran and it dates to 1879, but it's just preserved so beautifully. It's It's got this brilliant red veil and it's a blouse paired with a bright green silk embroidered skirt from the, I think, Avatsi region. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, but you know, these are the, these are the types of garments you're seeing on your collection that range across regions, that range across time. And it's so beautifully done. So thank you for sharing it with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for appreciating it. And and I repeat again, I, I mean, this is just a small collection when compared to the collections that are at, for example, the Metropolitan Museum or at the Textile and Research Center in Leiden. But ours is more concise and it relates to the Arab world and the Islamic world at large uh, by association. And um, it is growing, as I said, and we're trying to focus and to shed light on this particular area and its culture. We're trying through it to make the point of a shared humanity that I believe is rooted in history, but more importantly, it's the basis of sustaining a mutual future for all of us. If we learned anything from the present circumstances, it is that we are all facing a common existence. And I think uh, I would like to share here my experience, for example, with technology. Uh, when we started uh, the Instagram account, which is the Sultani Book UAE, and then we followed it with the Zay initiative, this resulted in an interesting and unexpected outcome. I consider it where we have an excellent example of the positive influence of technology and social media because through this uh, portal, we managed to have daily interactive platform where dialogue is live between followers from all walks of life in a two-way learning platform uh, through which we are engaging with the audience in real time. And we are collecting facts and documenting culture and hopefully inspiring talents as we go along. Many of the old photographs that we post, they come to life as people identify figures with them and give us feedback of the stories and the context of these images. Some of these images were taken by uh, travelers uh, in the early parts of the 19th and 20th century. And to be able to see someone who can recognize somebody or who can point out a place and a, an incident or, or a, a, a certain fact that we can add is really wonderful. And to be able to do it on a real-time process, it's really uh, quite an achievement, I think, uh, and a reflection of the time. On the other hand, we have young designers who are becoming grounded by factual imp uh, information presented through certain posts that we have, uh, leading them to a more in-depth knowledge through our website and digital archive and, and the blog and so on and so forth. We also managed to attract non-Arab followers uh, that are becoming acquainted with the customs and traditions of the area. Most importantly, in my opinion, we are, we are attracting younger Arab generations uh, that are in the diaspora, or some of them are second or third generation citizens of the world. 
these people are getting reacquainted with their roots and uh, we are encouraging them to continue to co uh, incorporate and appreciate uh, their history, their origins, their, the article of dress uh, and in incorporated into their own uh, daily lives which makes me very happy to witness them honoring culture and fashion and art and sometimes the same in the same fever that I pride myself with really. Yeah, and I mean, um, you've talked about now the intercultural dialogue, and I also had a question about the cross-cultural dialogue, which you've just referenced, because that really becomes clear that that's one of the tenets of, of the organization. Because once you start studying the connection, someone like myself that's kind of immersed in your American fashion history, it, it's so apparent how much influence these Arab clothing traditions had beyond the Arab world. The Ottoman trouser ensemble that we discussed from 1910, I mean, that is incredibly significant in that that is the exact year that French designer Paul Perret famously introduced his jupe culotte or Ottoman-inspired trousers into his own collections. Um, he was not alone, but he was certainly one of the most, <laughs> you know, colorful, I should say. But, you know, in contrast, in Europe and America, trousers were incredibly controversial. So it's, it's interesting to see that cross-cultural dialogue and how these, you know, these just garments, which really have no meaning outside of these cultures, once you put them in their cultural and social significance, it's interesting to see how they take on different meanings in different parts of the world and in different cultures. That's very true. And, and, and when you go back and you uh, learn more, the, you see that we are somehow sometime connected. We are all interconnected. I mean, in the, in the Arab world and the Muslim world, we always talk about the silk route. And I'm sure in the West, when you, when you hear about the Arab world, you are always, many people would associate it with the silk route. And, and the silk route in itself has a history, a wealth of history that connects nations and peoples and cultures and it interconnects them. It, it shows you how each one of them influenced the other. And this influence was not in a, in, by all means in one direction. It's always going back and forth. So just as Pore took some inspiration the East also took ma 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 many of the inspirations from the West, and it's an, it's an ongoing dialogue. And I think it, it is a beautiful way for all of us to get to know each other. I mean, what a wonderful medium for everyone to get to know each other through this beautiful, uh, artistic, creative, colorful uh, fashion media, you know? Yeah, and, and just expression of so many different things. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, so you learn the proper accent from the very start. 
For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this (laughs) hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. And the final tenant of the Zay Initiative's mission is to, quote, empower women regionally and globally by bringing their untold stories to life. So in what ways does the Zay Initiative hope to empower women? And I'm also hoping at the same time, in what ways do these narratives also help to combat misconceptions about Arab dress and its women wearers? Well, the collection has an online aspect to it as a directory of dress and jewelry. One can also think of it as a sort of a memory closet. When possible, a brief is recorded referencing the original owner, thus documenting their names and stories, giving them a voice that transcends time. Anyone can become part of it, and anyone can participate in preserving the memory of their loved ones simply by donating an article of dress or jewelry, and including uh, it with the date and the provenance and the name of the original wearer, and um, a photograph when possible to keep their memory alive. I think this is one of the ways that we try to record as many, dare I say women, because there are many men that work in this and there is, we do have uh, male uh, articles of clothing in the collection and we record their stories and so on and so forth. But because women tended to be the ones that worked and were more involved in the everyday making of these articles, be it the embroidery part or the uh, tailoring part and so on and so forth, you tend to, uh, I, I feel through, through recording that their, their stories, we are keeping their memory alive. We are keeping their uh, names alive. We are carrying it from one generation to the other. I feel our tagline speaks to the issue of this um, misconceptions and so on and so forth. Uh, as we say, we, we say an ode to the past and a nod to the future. Uh, we are, as I said, a non-profit initiative. It, we aim to reach a wide audience, as wide as possible. By reaching them, we shatter misconceptions and we bridge cultures and we sustain the past as we inspire the future. And what better way than having an online presence, especially in, in this day and age, 
And with the present global circumstances, I think chance played a a beautiful role because uh, we started thinking of digitizing and, and having an online presence as soon as we began to work with these articles of clothing. And we wanted to get as many people to see them as possible. And uh, we chose the online uh, medium or portal to do so. Uh, But lo and behold, life chose to change with COVID. And now you see almost everybody going into an online presence. And uh, we seem to have led this uh, in our particular area. Uh, And uh, I think by being open and available for as many people as possible, we can introduce an alternative dialogue to misconceptions and misunderstandings. And we can introduce an olive branch by speaking to shared uh, humanities, to shared uh, futures. Does that make sense uh, to you? I don't know. This is how I think of it. (laughs) No, absolutely. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I think, as you said, the collection is so important in, in so many ways. I mean, it's in English, it's in Arabic, um, you're bridging cultures, um, you're reaching, you know, cultures around the world, um, and you're sharing for the first time um, in this platform, I guess you could say, this the incredible breadth of beauty, of history, of cultural significance in Arab dress, and obviously revealing that it's not a monolith and that there's so many different traditions and different, you know, even just taking the caftan, the different ways that different cultures have worn it and incorporated it into their daily lives. I mean, it's just an incredible collection. And again, thank you so much for being here with us today. This was incredible. Thank you. I, I just wanted to ta- to add uh, two points, if I may. One, I wanted to clarify that uh, when I chose the word zay, it's, a, it's an Arabic term for dress. And the reason I chose it, it's a short and precise word and term that can give the meaning of what we are trying to do, because uh, as we said, that it is through your clothing that you could tell your own story. And we chose to focus on the Arab world in a way to help, again, these misconceptions that arise. When you speak of the Arab world, what we wanted to say that the Arab world is not only just Muslims. And not all Muslims are Arabs. So this is a very wide-held misconception. And I wanted to say that the Arab world encompasses various ethnicities and religions. And it is uh, dynamic in that there are so many different cultures within it and that influence each other and work cohesively together to create or to weave this fabric of what we term the Arab world. And when I speak about the Arab world, it is the Arab nation or Ummah al-Arabiya, where it is 22 countries. Uh, They are united to a degree by the language and culture and geographic positioning or location. And I don't know if this is a point you want to raise or not, but... I just wanted to record it and you can use it if you wanted to. No, absolutely. I'm glad that you clarified that. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, the other point that I wanted to say is that we truly do need the support and participation of like-minded individuals and institutions. So we need to reach out to them in the hope that they would reach back in their own way and help us, uh, as we say, to sustain the legacy. Maybe we can end on that note. 
Absolutely. And like I said, such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for sharing. And like you said, you're going to have to come back next season for a topic of your choosing. Be the abaya, the caftan, women trousers. You'll have to come back and and do an episode on one of those because I already know that listeners are going to want to hear more. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your interest. I really do. You can't understand how much it means to me. Dr. Reem, thank you so much for joining us on Dressed. What an incredible collection, Cass. I mean, she will absolutely have to join (laughs) us again next season to discuss any one of these categories in more depth. And in particular, I would like to hear more about the cross-cultural significance and history of women in trousers in the Arab world. Although the caftan would be wonderful too. And anybody out there who knows me personally knows that I am a huge fan of caftans. <laughs> and I wear them regularly in my everyday life. Yes, so, so many wonderful topics to discuss. So little time. However, in the meantime, I am very pleased to share that the Zay Initiative has been offering this wonderful webinar series over the past couple of months and hopefully well into the future. Past topics include the secret life of Syrian lingerie, magic and jewelry in ancient Egypt, which was with past dress guest, uh, Dr. Colleen Darnell, diplomacy and dress. And then they actually have an upcoming talk on November 3rd on Arab women and stereotypes. So you can register by going to thezay.org, that's Z-A-Y.org, and go to events to register for any one of these events. Yes. And while you are there, obviously check out the incredible online collection. We've discussed only a small fraction of the collection's offerings today. Um, You know, as we always say, be forewarned, this is a rabbit hole. You can get (laughs) stuck there for several hours, you know, browsing this wonderful collection of garments. And you cannot forget to check out and follow their Instagram page, which keeps you up to date on all of their event offerings while also presenting a daily dose of the art of Arab dress. And you can follow along at the Zay Initiative. Well, that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider the art and beauty of Arab dress next time you get dressed. Please tune in this Thursday for our mini-sode while we alternate between answering your fashion history mystery queries and also sharing all things fashion history, which are happening in the world today. We love hearing from you all, so if you would like to write to us, please do so at dressed at iheartmedia.com. You can also direct message us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast, where you'll find images accompanying each week's episode. You can follow us on Facebook at dress podcast without the underscore. As always, special thanks to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who makes the show possible each and every week. We will catch you all on Thursday. Dress, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.